Good day, everyone. Glad that we can be together. I am really loving and learning through this relationship series. Last week, I concluded or introduced the message from the end of Psalm 1, which says, God will chart your path. And I love the promise of that. God will chart your path in life and in your relationships, but it's not coming on a silver platter. It does require that we rely on him and join him in this given pursuit. And so we're looking at John Van Epp's model called the Relationship Attachment Model to help us see the bonds of relationship that are needed to be healthy and successful. Five bonds, the bond of knowing, which we covered a couple weeks ago, and that bond of knowing requires that there's time and that there's talking, not just with words, but eyes and ears, and that there's togetherness. That increases the knowledge base in a relationship. And this, by the way, becomes the flow point by which all the other bonds find their life and their health. And then the second week, we talked about trust and these factors of trust that allow us to be with each other. And we talked about five things, that when you trust, there's an understanding of the other person. There is um, a sense of being for the other person. They know it. There are abilities to be able to see need and meet needs, so it becomes a deliverable. There's a character quotient that responds to the specific situation in a way that's right and good. And there's a track record of consistency, which we'll get in today when we talk a little bit about rely. And then the next couple of weeks commit, talking about the degrees of loyalty and touch, what is meaningful touch in a relationship and the timing of that meaningful touch. Well, today though, we're gonna be talking about developing healthy relationships through reliance. And John Van Epp has a definition that's really quite simple related to reliance and that it's mutually meeting each other's needs. It's fairly simple. That, that healthy, successful relationships are about need meeting and that happens through this act of reliance. But we also know that there is an ebb and that there's a flow related to our ability to rely well on people, that there are times when we do it better than other times, as indicated in a little case statement called The Five Stages of a Married Cold, written by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. We'll walk you through these five stages through their years together. I'm gonna to read them to you, the first year. Love this. Baby darling, I'm worried about that sniffle. So I've called the paramedics to rush you to the hospital and check you in for a week of rest. And I know you don't like the hospital food, so I've arranged for gourmet food to be delivered to your hospital room. That's the first year of marriage. Second year of marriage. Sweetheart, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Knotts to make a house call, and then I'm gonna tuck you into bed, year two. Third year of marriage. You look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself to the quick care, <laughs> get some medicine, and I'll watch the kids. How magnanimous of this person. Fourth year, look, be sensible. After you've fed and bathed the kids, washed the dishes, you really ought to go to bed early. Fifth year, for Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud? <laughs> I can't hear the TV. Would you mind going in the other room while this show is on? You sound like a barking dog. Well, there you go. Our reliance has an ebb and flow to it. You might recall a couple of weeks ago, we talked about two different laws. The law of slow leaks, that each of these bonds, even when things are going great in your relationship, 
have a tendency to leak. They'll go down. And you want to prevent them from going flat. And then there's the law of regular realignment, um, that you're bringing back together that relationship in a way that's helpful and good in that regular kind of attentiveness that you give to each other. Well, the, the way that you can rely can be healthy and it can be unhealthy. So I want to give to you the two extremes of unhealthy reliance to begin with. The first is to be too independent or too self-reliant. Many of you were raised with uh, an understanding of this given proposition. If you want to get something done right, you have to do it yourself. Or the only person that you can truly depend on is you, yourself, right? So that focus nurtures this independence. And there's a sense in which it, it can be good to be independent, to be uh, resilient, to be self-sufficient. There's, there's a strength to it in one measure, but the risk of it is that you start to no longer need anyone else. And so you build protective walls in your relationship, protective walls that keep you from hurt, protective walls that keep you from intimacy in the relationship. And what's interesting here is you can know a person really well, you can even trust them um, inherently, but this person who's too dependent chooses not. Even with high know and high trust, you choose not to, to step into that mutual need meeting given place. And what happens is intimacy um, that God intends for us is put at risk. You see the gap there. You can't experience that intimacy that God has for you uh, when we choose to be too independent. About 15 years ago, I was working with my mother on uh, her end-of-life realities. And by the way, can I just say, this is a wise mother. Do this for your children. So this is 15 years ago. She's still alive today. And uh, we were working on where um, she would be buried and where she would find herself um, at that season of her life. I worked with her on the order of service for her funeral service, which was actually quite a positive experience, believe it or not. You wouldn't think it would be, but if you make it negative, it will be negative. If you make it positive, you can have fun actually stepping into it. And when we were working on the flow of service, she had already had her sacred hymns selected. And so we spoke about each of them, and one of them was that um, beautiful hymn in the repertoire of popular music called My Way by Frank Sinatra, which I would not call sacred so much. But I, I just suspended, and I listened, and I, I didn't say anything in that moment. But many, many months later, I came back and I said, Mom, I think we should think about this just a little bit more, because it strokes that independence, that too independence is an issue and leads to unhealthiness, but so is being... Um, too dependent or codependency. And you know this to be that excessive emotional reliance on someone to get your needs met or to um, find someone who will make you feel okay about who you are. And it can lead to all kinds of compulsive behaviors where you start to need to control the person that you're with and you become possessive of their time and their attention. And it can actually progress where you become responsible for their feelings and their, their, um, their actions. It's a vulnerable place. It is not a healthy place to be too dependent on a person. Brené Brown puts it this way. We're hardwired for connection. There's no arguing with the bioscience, but we can want it so badly we're trying to hotwire it. I just love that picture. That you can become too dependent on a person. 
And when you become too dependent on a person, what happens is you begin to trust too quickly and you rely too soon. And when you are in that place, there is a setup for a great hurt along the way. To trust too quickly and to depend too much without the proper knowledge of who a person is, is a vulnerable place to be in relationship. That's unhealthy reliances, the extreme of being too independent and too dependent. Let's turn the page and talk a little bit about healthy reliances and how do we move in that direction of being healthy together because God wants us to be in a healthy reliance and it's known as interdependence, that there's a connectivity with others. It's a mutual give and take, that is there's a rhythm of receiving and giving support, of encouragement, of help to each other. And when it's mutually agreed upon, you really find that rhythm of what God purposed for you in a relationship. But I know because of our own broken nature, it's a tricky thing. Because I don't think you can enter relationships without at one time or another finding yourself hurt. Um, finding yourself in a place where there's a broken promise or an unmet expectation that's, uh, that's something you're experiencing. What that does, it creates a hesitancy to want to rely again. We, we put this, again, protective wall that keep people at bay and intimacy at bay because we don't feel safe. But God teaches both this healthy reliance, self-reliance, and a healthy interdependence. It's a both and that God intended for us to experience and, and enjoy. And this may not be a surprise to you at all, but I do not meet all of Carrie's relational needs. Does that surprise you in any way? That there is a self-reliance that she has and an interdependence with me, and we are committed to meet each other's core needs, but we also understand there are other people who meet needs healthy in appropriate kinds of ways in the relationship. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul explains how we're all joined together in the body of Christ. We're all joined together there in order to experience a oneness through healthy interdependence. It's a both and, a self-reliance and a healthy interdependence in the journey. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to put it up on the, the screen. There's quite a few words in this particular passage, but really meaningful. You can turn in your Bibles and follow along that way as well. It reads this way from Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We have distinct parts that God created us to have a distinct, unique presence but its strength is found in how it relates to, relies upon other parts of the body. And it's an important part of our spiritual health, our physical health, our relational health. I want to put a sentence up on the screen, a little active exercise for you today. Take a look at this sentence. Psychologists did a test with people on this sentence, and they invited um, people to put the comma or commas in the place that they felt it belonged in the sentence. Take a moment and take a look at it, all right? Where would you put the commas? 
Most women put the commas this way. Woman, without her, man is nothing. (laughs) And men put it this way. Woman, without her man, is nothing. (laughs) So you see the differences. They're distinct. And our differences can create separation. But this is why I like John Van Epp's simple formula for satisfying relationships. It's mutual need meeting that makes the difference. It was what God intended for us in the beginning. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we were made to rely on each other. And in that little text, Reliance recognizes three different ingredients, and I'll put them up on the screen for you just for particular focus. First of all, I have something that is essential to meeting the needs of another. First Corinthians says, secondly, that I or someone else has something that is essential to meeting my needs. And then the third is Reliance is all about interdependence. It's mutual need meeting. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 is about. It's saying that each of us is unique. And if I could, if I could just pause on this for a moment, because in the, in the career that I have, the opportunity and the gift to be a pastor, I meet with people so often, and it just astonishes me how many people do not feel like they belong or they're not valued. But God made each of us. He breathed life into each of us that we are valued by the God who made us. So let us not let the voices of the people in the world be the standard of how we define ourselves. We are the beloved sons and daughters of the living God and we're uniquely made by God to have a unique purpose by God and we are valued and loved by God in the midst of it. So if you're feeling that way today, hear the voice of God who reminds you, you are created by him with significant value, distinct value. But you also, in your independence, have these skills and these capacities, these unique ways of being that are intended to be shared with others. You are not an island unto yourself. God, you know, the rugged individualism of American culture is is alarming to me in one sense because we weren't created by God to to celebrate our individualism alone. We We were made to intersect and to work with others, to be reliant on others for the good that God would have us in life and in relationships. So it is one body with many different parts and every part is needed by the other parts. It's mutual meeting of needs that is the very core of God's purpose for us in relationships. And so, if you find yourself low on the no, you just don't know um, the person's need, you don't know what it is that makes them feel valued or treasured, there's just no way you're gonna be able to meet those needs because you don't know them. And if you have high levels of knowing, you've exercised investigation, curiosity, interest, and understanding what the need is, you're gonna be better prepared to accurately understand the need and then to move in the direction of meeting the need. When someone is meeting a need um, and it's a meaningful expression, you're really meeting the need of the other in a meaningful way, something happens. The the person feels valued, they feel um, understood, They feel safe. Their confidence in you, in the relationship, actually rises, and trust rises with it. 
If, however, you're not meeting the need, you don't know the need, or you're not meeting it in a meaningful way for one reason or another, that reliance is going to go low because you're not motivated to meet the need, and trust will diminish with it as well. And we want to be in that place where we're finding that that trust rises because if it's low like this, something happens, and we know this to be true. We start to find other people or other things to meet the need that we're not getting from our most loved one. And it leads to intense brokenness in relationship. And throughout the years, I've come back to this, what I call the five Ds of relationship. So I have this analogy of relationship in my head as through the years I've met with people. And it's like a highway. And when things are rough, usually I'm meeting with people when things are rough, that there, there are exits along that highway of relationship. And it starts with a little exit. The first D is disappointment. And you don't call out your disappointments every day. Can you imagine if you called out every little disappointment you have with somebody you love every day? What would that do to your day? You would be crabby, period. So, but you, you want to guard from cumulative disappointments. That exit, if it begins to accumulate those disappointments and it's not addressed, it leads you down that highway of relationship to a second D. And that second D is discouragement. And it's weightier. Those disappointments have a weight to them that bring you down. And trust tends to go with that as well. That reliance factor goes down with that. And if you don't address that discouragement, it takes you further down the highway of relationship to another exit, which is a little more alarming called distance. So now there's a chasm between us and we can feel it. And because we have those other unresolved exits, it gets harder to go back and deal with them, but you can still do it. But if you continue down that highway of relationship and you don't deal with the distance, it will move to detachment. And detachment becomes really difficult, in my experience, to come back and try to close the gap, bring level, mutual meeting back into the foray of conversation because motivation is like diminishes. It can go off the radar completely. When you're not motivated, you don't have much hope. So it's difficult to go there, which leads to that final D of divorce or separation of those most important relationships. So we're gonna guard ourselves from these five Ds in our relationship, which is through mutual need meaning. I wanna talk about healthy reliances now um, in terms of marriage and kids, in terms of friendships and dating. I'm gonna parse them out just briefly, each one of them, because there's a point of reference that I think is helpful for each. I'm gonna start with marriage. Judith Siegel, in her book, What Children Learn from Their Parents' Marriage, talks about the importance of interdependence, that it is the very mark of a healthy versus unhealthy relationship or unhealthy marriage, and this is what she says. In marriages where partners do not offer mutual support, partners have become disappointed in each other and have come to believe that they must look out for themselves first. Now we move into that too independent, self-reliant category. So she says that mutual dependence, that interdependence is the trademark of a healthy relationship. And for those of you that are in the small groups, um, um, going through the materials from John Van Epp in his book for the married couples, he's got a phrase in there that popped off the page for me, and I just love this phrase. And it's talking about being a connoisseur of your spouse. And I love that phrase. When you think of connoisseur, do you not have a positive connotation to that? You're a connoisseur of food, you're a connoisseur of different, it's a positive thing. Be a connoisseur of your spouse. Know the little and the big things. Know the needs and the wants. And delight in the opportunity to meet those needs, to gladly step into that given place, to love figuring out how could I meet the need, especially when it's a different need than you may have personally. 
Then you have to get creative because connoisseurs are creative. They get creative in terms of how they're going to meet the need. And they make great choices that allow that mutual need meeting to happen. I'll use an example. These aren't all complex relational things. Sometimes they're simpler, like in your recreational needs. I'm a basketball guy. I love basketball. I like to watch it on TV. I like to go to the Timberwolves. I like to go to the Gophers when I have time to go. And on Carrie's top 100 list, you will not find basketball on that list. But we're married together and it's a recreational pursuit so she joins me in it. She'll come to a game or we'll watch it in the living room together and I wish you could see her watch a basketball game with me. You would think she's a number one fan. I mean, she is excited, she cheers. I mean, she says, where's the popcorn? We just have such a great time. Honestly, she's meeting my need is what she's doing there. To be together, to share in that moment together. And it's the inverse to be true too. When she wants to watch a rom-com, I gladly step into that with her. I don't cheer as much, but I'm, I love the popcorn, and, and I really do find supportive things to say. No cynicism, no backdoor comments. I just try to be present, and actually, I can even say I've learned to enjoy some rom-coms along the way. So you find mutual need meeting even in the simple things, not just the big things. Relationship in marriage, interdependence is that mark. Let me speak to relationship with kids. Do you notice if you have children, there is not one template for all of your kids, right? We have four kids, I go, no way, they can't be ours. They are. They're just so unique and distinct. I love how God does that. Even when the genetic predisposition you think would be, wow, we, you know, no, they're, they're unique. Each of them are unique unto themselves. And it's such a beautiful thing to see how it all works out. But you, you have to, you want to become a connoisseur. You want to become a connoisseur of your kids. To pay attention to the bigs and the littles of their lives their needs and their wants, the things that they're curious about, the things that awaken them along the way. This past summer, I read a book by Palmer Parker called Let Your Life Speak. And in chapter two, he observes his granddaughter and is just taken with awe by the fascination in her learning years that she has to everything that's around her. And he started taking note and thought, oh, I'm gonna start to journal the things that she has passion around, interest in, and I'm gonna make note of it. And when she's 18, I'm gonna give her this journal. Isn't that a great idea? It's motivating me to think different about my three granddaughters right now. He opens up the journal with these words to her. Here's a sketch of who you were from your earliest days in this world. It's not a definitive picture, but may remind you to reclaim the gift of who you were when you first arrived. That is really good. Because once she gets into middle school and high school, oh, there's a ton of voices bullying, affirming, be this, don't be that. And along the way, you lose the very fact that God is the one who first created you. And some of those passion points and interests are revealed when you're three and four and five and even one years of age. We want to capture that, bottle up, and bring it back. I I love that picture. Be a connoisseur of your kids' needs, the bigs and the littles, their wants and needs. Celebrate their uniqueness. Teach them. There's a beauty in the strength that God gave you as you are as part of the body, but you were not meant to be a part of the body alone. Teach them to serve the other parts of the body. That the life is in the reliance that we have on each other. And then I want to talk about healthy reliances in terms of friendship and dating along the way. And can I just say, with your friends, or if you're dating someone, be a connoisseur of that person. The little things and the big things, take note of them. 
the needs and the wants. Take note of them. They, they will likely be different than you. But I want to ask this question, especially if you're dating in that season. When do you build the reliance bond in a relationship? I want you to keep this in mind, that know and trust are the ceiling for how much we can rely on another person. That's the ceiling that we have. That you don't want to be gone relying too much on a person until you really get to know them. Because if you don't know them and you're just simply trusting them, you are set up for some significant hurt in life and journey. That knowledge of the person and trust of the person must always be higher than the relying. So when you're beginning to date, um, rely slowly. And as you grow in knowledge, then you can grow in relying. It will save you from a lot of heartache in life and journey. So here we come into this place and bring it together with a thought related to how to improve reliances. What are practical things that we can do? And I want to suggest to you to increase your CARE, C-A-R-E. It's an acronym, qualities together in relationship. I'll put it up in a moment, but I want to reflect briefly on a study that I came across that I found quite interesting, that when relationships are not secure, that is, when you're feeling a disconnect with others, arguments can sometimes rise. And their research indicates that the arguments are really not so much about dishes and garbage or money or whatever the topic is. They're about something deeper around a specific question. And the question is this, are you there for me? Are you there for me? And we take these little checks in and out on the basis of internally what we're thinking about that question and how it's being answered. Healthy Reliance says, I am here for you. So I want to wrap up with these four practices that increase reliance in relationship. And uh, it's related to the acronym C-A-R-E, acronym for care. First, be consistent. Say that with me. Be consistent. Say it a little louder like you believe it. Be consistent. Thanks for being with me in that. Be consistent. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're, if, when you say you're going to do something, do the thing you say you're going to do. Be consistent. It will improve the confidence that I can rely on you. Make keeping commitments a symbol of your honor. That's the C. The second is A, is be available. Say that with me. Be We're rising. <laughs> be available. And I love this picture because it communicates. When you're available to somebody, it communicates. You're important. You're a priority. You can rely on me. You can count on me in this relationship. And we need that. You've heard me say over this last year that the quality of the heart that God most like, learn, uh, likes in us as his people is the quality of availability. And it's the same in relationships. The quality of availability is an infusion of God's work in your life, of your work in your relationships. Being available makes all the difference. And people can tell when you're available or not. Or another word, a word that you could use is accessible, that you're accessible to the person. I've used, I've tried to be vulnerable in my own place because I'm in a good place, Carrie and I are in a good place in our relationship and it's just, it's easier when you're this year, this many years down the road to be able to say some of the things that we've learned through because, you know, the best relationships are the result of a lot of intentionality and a lot of hard work. But I have these moments and Carrie gives me a check. She'll tap my bottom, only she gets to do that. And, or she'll, 
She'll just verbally remind me, um, maybe after an event, and here's my pattern. I can get so consumed sometimes with the responsibilities I have, the problems I seek to solve, the scope of what I'm involved with, that sometimes I can be present for a birthday party and not be present. You know what I'm talking about there? I want to be present. Sometimes I don't even realize that I'm not present, that I have this other quarter in my head that's consuming energy and attention. So she give me a little tap and say, show up, be available. Availability increases the motivation to be reliant. The C is quite simply, or the R is quite simply, I do know how to spell, which by the way, can I put up Proverbs 25, 19? Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. I love the scripture's description, it's so simple. It's just painful when you have a person who's not available that you can't rely on when you want them to be present and to be reliable. Then the, the R is to be responsive. Would you say that with me? Yeah, we're really doing well. I can't wait till the E word comes. The <laughs> responsibility has, as a, or, or, at the root of response is responsibility. And I love this word, responsibility. It's simply the ability to respond in healthy and whole ways, which means you know the need, it's high. You see the need, you choose to meet the need, it's high, and trust rises when that scenario plays itself out. And I particularly like the fact that, that we have instruction from God's word in Ephesians 4, it says, speak simple, straightforward truth in love. Just I love the simplicity of that. Speak simple, straightforward truth in love. Just knock off the exaggerating and the understating and all the other words that, just speak simple, straightforward love. Respond to the need as you see the need, as simply as you possibly can. And don't give excuses when you miss it. And if you miss it, then own it and say, forgive me for that. And seek to do better in that consistency side. Apologize quickly. And then the final E is be engaged. Would you say that with me? Yeah, I'm grateful we're, we're ending high here. Be engaged. And it's just simply saying it's not only important to care about the emotional experiences of the one that you're with, it's really good to be curious. Which, by the way, connoisseurs are curious. They're curious about what it is that makes you tick. To listen with your eyes and your ears and your mouth and step into that room because the emotionally engaged person is the one that's gonna bring the stronger bond of relationship, health, and strength. So, God will chart the road you take in relationships, it's his promise. But he does it as we choose to rely on him and be available to him. And just a brief confession around that because I know some days you just don't do that very well. Let's just be honest. There are leaks that, that slow leak happens. I just had a conversation with one of our pastors this week with two, uh, three kids and um, you know, up too much in the night. And uh, being reliable was getting a bit annoying and it wasn't showing his very best side and his wife came and gave him a little prompting along the way because it happens, so let's be honest. And uh, if you've been around here, you know my acronym for relationship health and what makes it risky when, when we're moving in the wrong direction is HALT, H-A-L-T. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're vulnerable to that reliance side. So you may have to pause, HALT, turn to God and say, whoop, I've, I've hijacked your flow of resources that I need right now on two hours of sleep and help me be that. 
or you bring others in to help you be that so you can keep that reliance and those bonds healthy and well. Well, whether it be your relationship with God, family, or your relationship with uh, friends or dating, I wanna invite you to be a connoisseur of the ones that you're with. Be a connoisseur uh, to get to know the littles and the bigs of that person, their needs and their wants, and to then meet the need. And can I just throw this in? To gladly meet the need. What was my adjective there? Gladly meet the need, not a sense of duty. I guess I have to. They can smell that too, by the way. Gladly meet the need of the other and watch the relationship soar in new kinds of ways. And if you don't know what the need is, just humbly ask and say, you know what, I'm missing the boat here. Something didn't connect in my head. My bad. Help me um, understand what your need is. I've given you an assignment each week, so this is my assignment for you this week. It sounds a little corny on the front end. Can I just own that? So you don't have to do the first piece of it. Just do the second if it feels too corny for you. But if you were to say today, lunch, or before the Vikings game. No, no, don't do it before the Vikings game. Do it sometime in the afternoon or before you put your head on your pillow tonight. Say, I want to be a connoisseur of you. I want to be a connoisseur of you. That's the corny part, kind of. I think it's beautiful truth, but... I want to be a connoisseur of you. Is there a need that you have that I'm not aware of or perhaps am aware of but could do a better job meeting that need? Fair enough? I want to be a connoisseur of you. Is there a need you have that I'm not aware of or that I am aware of but could do a better job and try to just receive it? No defensiveness, just to receive it. And in doing so, you will find that God will meet your needs according to the glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise from God's word too. I'm going with God in these relational flows. You? Go with God? Yeah, thank you for saying that. Let's stand together. We'll wrap up our time in prayer. Um, so Father God, thank you for the gift of relationship. We know that when you framed up the word that is authoritative for life, faith, and practice, this very word, it's all about a love story. Your relationship with us that would help us to know how to be in relationship with you and with each other, and we need your help all along the way. And here's the truth of it all. God, you are the connoisseur of us. You know the little and the big. You know our wants and our needs. And even when we've neglected you and moved away from you, you come toward us gladly, not wanting any to perish, but all to know of your love relationship that you intended, you created us for. So if there's anyone here who doesn't know your love, I pray that they would turn this day by faith in Jesus Christ, your son, and come to know the best love relationship made known on the face of the earth and then have a resource that will never run out to enter into relationship with each other that would honor you, bring help to others, and joy in the life that we live. In the midst of it all, we give it to you, to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.